Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, it's great to be back and to kind of put a period on our little study on, uh, on the uh, wisdom books. I will be back at the beginning of December, and uh, we will then uh, talk about, uh, we'll talk a little bit about Ecclesiastes, and then we're going to, I'm going to speak out of a text out of Ecclesiastes that's uh, Point Center Sunday, and I think it's a text that connects well with, with that event. But we have been reminded this morning uh, that uh, today is Reformation Sunday, and it is uh, the day when we celebrate Martin Luther and nailing his 95 Theses to the, to the Wittenberg door that, as we said, created a firestorm in Europe. And uh, so today, we, we, it's, a, it's a Sunday way that I think is appropriate to remember, and, and it set the Protestant church on its journey to where it is today, and we are the, uh, and we are the, the inheritors of that legacy. I did a little study, and I found out that Luther quoted the book of Proverbs over 500 times in his, in his writings. And this is what he said about the book of Proverbs. Anyone who intends to become righteous might well take this book as a handbook or a prayer book for daily use and read it often and see his own life in it. He also said, Proverbs is an excellent book. Rulers ought to read it. There one can see how things happen in the world. There's nothing in the book but fear God, and pray. So these are good words. And yes, rulers and leaders and kings and presidents and prime ministers ought to read it, including our own, along with, however, everyone else that needs to be reading the book of Proverbs, including us. So how many of us Remember a favorite teacher, maybe a Sunday school teacher, a favorite Bible study teacher, perhaps a favorite teaching pastor, or maybe even a favorite Bible college or seminary president, <laughs> uh, seminary professor, as I am looking at one of my students. And uh, I, like many of you, have had many excellent teachers. Excellent teachers as a child, as a teen. I had excellent teachers when I was a seminary student, when my seminary days. However, one of my favorite teachers is a woman. And her name is Hakma. Now, that's a rather unusual name. So where do we find the teachings of Hakma? And we will find them in the book of Proverbs. Listen to, as I read. Out in the open, wisdom, and that is the word hakma, calls out. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gates, she makes her speech. That's in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And then we read, does not wisdom, hakma, sometimes we call her lady wisdom, does not lady wisdom, hakma, call out? 
Does not, the, does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Besides the gate leading into the city, at the entrance she cries aloud. That comes from chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. So it's interesting that in the book of Proverbs, especially the first part of it, up to chapter 9, wisdom is personified as a woman. We know her as Lady Wisdom. And in chapter 9 in particular, we're going to go there in a minute, she is contrasted with Lady Folly. And so we find that we are hearing the voice of this personification of wisdom who stands at the gates, at the intersections, at the crossroads of life, calling, especially in Old Testament times, young men to embrace her, to follow her, to take her on as who she is. But when we bring it into our day and time, we find that not just young men, but also young women and older men and older women, and all of us are called to listen to and embrace the teachings of Lady Wisdom, Hakma. Let me read just a little bit of her call. I'm in chapter 8. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. Does not Hakma, Lady Wisdom, call out? Does not understanding raise her, her at her uh, voice, at the highest point along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand beside the gate leading into the city. At the entrance, she cries aloud, to you, O people, I call out. I raise my voice to all humankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, set your hearts on it. Listen, for I have trustworthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true. My lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They are upright to those who have found knowledge. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom, and that's her name again, Hakma, is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. And the rest of the chapter goes on to talk about how she was actually kind of a voice in the design of how God created the world. So what is this book? What is the, what is the spirit of this book? How, what do we find in the book of Proverbs? And this has been my assignment for today, is to help us all understand a little bit more about the book of Proverbs. So I want to bore down a little bit further and ask the question, okay, so what is this book about? There are three things I want to identify. There are many other things that we could talk about, but three things I want to identify. First of all, the book is a book of practical daily living. Practical everyday living. We call it lower wisdom. If you remember the, the, the talk I gave you a couple of weeks ago, I talked about Job as higher wisdom, asking the big questions about the freedom of God and our relationship to that freedom. We talked about that last week. We talked about Ecclesiastes, 
asking the big questions, what's life all about, or perhaps what life is not all about. But when we come to the book of Proverbs, we are dealing with what we call lower wisdom. We're dealing with the everyday realities of life. So, the book of Proverbs deals with things like money, alcohol, work ethic, marriage, sex, violence, etiquette at a banquet, fools versus integrity, land boundary markers, neighbors, enemies. If your enemy's ox falls into a ditch, help your enemy get the ox out of the ditch. Power, humility, being security for someone, talking too much. <laughs> I like that one. Child rearing, a disciplined life, and many other subjects. So it reaches into the daily realities of life, and not for just God's people, but for all people. In many ways, the book of Proverbs is different than the other books of the Bible in that it deals with how to live well in creation. The other books of the Bible tend to talk about how to live well in covenant with God. But this is more of what we would call a creation theology, how to fit well into the world in the way that God has made it. It's more universal. As I said, it's a creation theology. So it's a book that deals with the practical realities of life. It gets down into the, the bits and pieces of, of living out life on a daily basis. But it's not just a book of practicalities. It's not just a book of good advice. It is very God-centered. The fear of the Lord drives the book, and drives us to put God at the center of the orbit of our lives, as I have illustrated a couple of times already. A God-centered or theocentric worldview has God at the center, and we are in orbit around God. So often, in the way we think about our spirituality, we are at the center of the world, and God is in orbit around us. And the fear of the Lord in a God-centered view turns that thing inside out. And we put God at the center of our, of our worldview, his morality, his ethics, his spirituality, and we are in orbit around him, and we work out his mission, his purpose, his values in the world. So the fear of the Lord drives us to put God at the center of the orbit of our lives, and this brings us to the second thing that this book is all about. It is a practical living that tells us what it, what it is to live godly lives and in the fear of the Lord. Derek Kidner, one of the best ever commentators on the book of Proverbs, writes this. There are details of character small enough to escape the mesh of the law and the broadsides of the prophets, yet decisive enough in personal dealings. Proverbs moves in this realm, asking what a person is like to live with or to employ or how he manages his affairs, his time, and himself. 
But it is not a portrait album book or a book of manners. It offers the key to life. And that life is found in the fear of the Lord. And that phrase occurs frequently throughout the book. We read it earlier as we read the first seven chapters, uh, first seven verses. And verse seven is, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, beginning of wisdom and shun evil is understanding. In Proverbs 9, the fear of the Lord stands at the center of the chapter. I invite you to turn with me to Proverbs 9. This is a pivot cha pivotal chapter in the book. So if you've got a Bible or a phone or something like that, turn there and I want to show you something in Proverbs 9. You'll notice, again, if you've got that in front of you, you'll notice that it says, wisdom has built her house. This is verse 1. She sets up at seven pillars. She has prepared her meat, mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants. She calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live and walk in the ways of insight. So we start with Lady Wisdom in verses 1 to 7, calling everyone to come, eat at her home, eat her food, embrace who she is, engage the values that she presents that actually she has been talking about for eight chapters. But now go to the end of this chapter, of chapter 9, and notice what you find. You find the contrast. We started with Lady Wisdom, now we've got Lady Folly, Lady Foolishness. Lady Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city. Notice the parallel. Notice that it is a Lady Wisdom and a Lady Folly comparison. And both are beckoning people to come and embrace them calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. And notice that the invitation is identical. Let all who are simple come to my house, to those who have no sense, she says. Aha! And now notice what she says. Stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know. And this is, of course, the commentator of the book of Proverbs. But little do they know that the dead are there and her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. Wow, that's a little sinister, don't you think? But it's interesting when you look at Proverbs 9 and you see the invitation by Lady Wisdom, Lady Folly, the, identi the, the, the invitations are identical. And then as you move towards the middle of the book, I don't have time to expound all that, but it actually moves in a structure and it, it works step by step from Lady Wisdom, Lady Folly, working step by step to the middle two verses and they form the peak or the pinnacle of the chapter. And this is a concluding chapter to the opening lectures. And look at what verses 10 and 11 say. Here are the pinnacle verses of this concluding chapter of the first section of the book. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom, your days will be many and years will be added to your life. So all I am trying to get across here is while the book is a book of practicalities, everyday life, it is not just a book of good advice. It is all about putting God at the center of the orbit of our lives, creating a theocentric worldview, and that we live every day with the practicalities of life, understanding that we are to live in the fear of the Lord. God is to be center stage, and it shows us what a theocentric worldview looks like. The third thing I want to say about the book is that it's built on what we call Proverbs. It's called the book of Proverbs. Now, we need to understand it is a book of Proverbs, not promises. And an inspired proverb remains a proverb. It does not become a promise. But we need to understand that the primary intent of the book is to teach wisdom, how to act, think, respond in a way that reflects the fear of the Lord. Come with me to Proverbs 22.6. Many of us know this verse. It is a motto for many, many parents. Raise up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The NIV, NIV reads it just a little bit differently. Start children off in the way that they sh should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Now, this is an illustration of a proverb whose intent is to teach parents on how to raise their kids. Raise them in the way of the Lord or at least in the way that they ought to go. Proverbs 22, 6, in the way that they should go. Now, I have heard that text used to say, well, you know, this means raise them according to their uh, propensities, or raise them according to their personalities, or raise them to according to their giftednesses. No, 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 no. The way they ought to go are the ways of God. That's what it's talking about. Raise up a child in the ways of God, because that's what Lady Hakma is doing throughout the book to help people understand the way they ought to go according to the ways of God. God at the center of our lives, living in the fear of the Lord. So, this text is telling us and is teaching parents, and I would say the church, to raise our children according to God's morality, God's ethics, God's spirituality, all the ways that are being talked about in the book. But the second line is a proverbial outcome. It's a norm, not a promise. And we need to be careful with this. The normal thing that will happen is that your kid will follow the way that you teach. But it's not a guarantee. And I have seen this verse used to brutalize more parents than we can think of. A kid goes sideways. They've been raised in a godly home. 
The parents have done well, raised them in church, brought them to Sunday school, done all the things that they've done. They had a godly home, and yet the kid doesn't follow the Lord. And I doubt that there are hardly any of us here who can't tell that story. My wife and I were good parents. We have five kids. We were good parents. We are good parents. We're good grandparents now, just in case you're wondering. We're good grandparents. We did our best. We didn't do it perfectly, not by a long shot. But we raised our kids in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. We took them to church. We, had, we, we talked about stuff all the time at our dinner table. We were constantly thinking through what it is to be a follower of Christ. The, the, the conversations at our dinner table were unbelievably lively. As you can imagine, having a seminary professor as a dad, well, it went crazy at times. And then, the, and of course, back in that day, when we were raising our kids, uh, we didn't buy a dishwasher. We did that deliberately. Because every night after supper, dad washed the dishes. And one of the kids would dry, much to their chagrin, but they would dry. But it was fascinating that week, day after day, as I washed those dishes and my hands and elbows in soap suds, the kids would then begin to talk about life. What school was like, maybe the supper discussion that we had gotten involved in. So we worked hard at being good parents to raise our children in the way they ought to go. The result, a guarantee, all our kids are focused followers of Jesus? Not so much. It's been mixed results. Fortunately, all five of our kids are still talking to us and are all talking to each other which is a gift, by the way. But it's been mixed in the response of all that. Am I a lousy parent? Is the promise of Proverbs 22.6 not valid in my life? No, it's not a promise. It's a proverb. It's the way that things normally work out. But we need to understand, in spite of that, and some of you are going to say, well, you're demeaning scripture. That's not what I'm doing whatsoever. What I'm saying here is the emphasis is on teach wisdom to kids. Teach godliness. Raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Raise them according to God's ways. That's the point of the proverb. That's the point of the instruction. It's all about teaching us how to live wisely. Being proverbial does not make it less instructive, important, or God-breathed. It's all wisdom teaching from God through the writers in the book. And it is to be listened to, followed, pursued, and taught to each other as God's word. So how is this book put together? Just a quick scan through the, the whole book. This is uh, a rapid read of the book. It's, it finds its face in King Solomon, son of David. That's how it starts. We read that earlier today. But there, is a, there are a number of different contributors to the book. Solomon didn't write the whole thing. So we've got an introduction that we read earlier in, cha in chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. Then in chapter 8 to the end of chapter 9, which I just alluded to and read parts of Lady Wisdom, Lady Folly, that section from 
after the intro up to chapter 9, we've got a whole bunch of lectures and sayings by Lady Wisdom. I would argue that Solomon wrote this section and that he is featuring the voice of Hakma, Lady Wisdom, throughout this section. And it is all about Lady Wisdom standing at the intersections of life, calling young men in particular in Old Testament times, but all of us in general, to embrace her, to follow her, to listen to her. And she stands in contrast to Lady Folly, who is also calling all of us to follow and eat her food. Maybe a kind of a, a, a bit of a snippet of the kind of things that we find in that first section, we can find in chapter 5, verses uh, 16. Uh, let, let me read this. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are, that are detestable to him. Okay, this is Lady, Lady Wisdom teaching this. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that it shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to run, uh, rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Well, that's a nice little snippet of the kinds of things that Lady Wisdom teaches throughout these beginning chapters up to chapter 9. Then beginning in chapter 10 and going to chapter 29, all right, this is almost 20 chapters, you've got a whole series of pithy proverbial sayings. The style changes significantly at chapter 10. And you get this collection of pithy sayings, one right after the other, coming in kind of rapid fire. And um, they're wide-ranging and they're practical. Solomon writes two rounds of them. He writes the first round. Then there's a second group that are written by the, called the wise ones or the sages. Then there's another section written by the wise ones or the sages. Then it comes back to Solomon in the latter part of this section that came from the time of Hezekiah. And it says, these are the Proverbs of, so of Solomon that Hezekiah's men uh, collected. So we know that the book has been in process for almost 200 years because Hezekiah is 200 years after Solomon. And so Hezekiah's scholars went back into the archives, found a bunch of Solomon's Proverbs, and added it to the book, which was in process until that time. So Solomon wrote some of those pithy proverbs, and the sages, or the guild of the sages, wrote some of those proverbs. Then there are two final essays in the book, in chapter 30 and 31. The first essay is by Azur, and we have no idea who this guy is, but he covers a lot of the stuff that's already been spoken about in the book. And then we get a short essay from Lemuel's mother, which I find absolutely fascinating. Lemuel is a king. We have no idea who he is. But Lemuel's mother writes this to her son. And I think it's absolutely fascinating what Lemuel's mother says to her son, who is king. Let me read it to you. Proverbs 31, the first part of the chapter. The sayings of King Lemuel, an inspired utterance that his mother taught him. She writes, 
Listen, my son. Listen, son of my womb. Listen, my son, to answer my prayers. Do not spend your strength on women, your vigor on those who ruin kings. And that's back in the day when kings collected harems. And she's warning him against that. And then she has a very interesting instruction. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, obviously her son, it is not for kings to drink wine, not for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed. In other words, they get inebriated and don't do well, all right? Forget what has been decreed and deprive the oppressed of their rights. Okay? Let alcohol be for those who are perishing. They didn't have morphine back in those days. So that's how they handled people with pain. You got them soused, right? Let beer for those be those who are perishing. Wine for those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. But then she says, and this is crucial, and I would argue this is a, this is a mandate for anybody in power, not just a king, anybody in power, even in the church. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. And it's a call by Lemuel's mother to power people to be sure that we care for those with no power. That brings us to the final appendix of the book, which begins at chapter, chapter, chapter 31, uh, verse 10 goes down to verse 31, and this is this famous passage about the virtuous woman or the virtuous wife. And this is the passage that's preached on every Mother's Day, and every woman hates it and decides not to come to church that Sunday because her husband is elbowing her and saying, see, okay. I argue that this it's a 22-verse acrostic poem that ends the whole book. And I argue that this is, in fact, not talking about somebody's wife. It's actually talking about Lady Wisdom. It's actually speaking about her that has been featured throughout the book. And so the application of Proverbs 31.10 following is to both men and women. And I preach it on Father's Day. And that makes my point. Now, it's value for both men and women. And actually, the book of Ruth, which in the Hebrew Bible follows directly the book of Proverbs, she is actually called a virtuous woman or a virtuous wife. So it does apply to women, for sure. But I would argue, because it's lady wisdom, it applies to both men and women. And all of us, can learn from Proverbs 31, 10 and following. All right. So what do we take away from this book? What do, we, what do we leave with today? First of all, we have an encounter with God through Jesus Christ. This book teaches us that if we are, what we are to be like if we truly have a God-centered view of life, teaches us the morality, ethics, and spirituality of God. But more than this, it teaches us what it is to embrace Jesus Christ as the wisdom of God. Paul said in 1 Corinthians that Jesus Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. And as we embrace the teaching and wisdom of the book of Proverbs, we are in fact embracing Christ. 
When we listen to Lady Wisdom, we are actually listening to Christ himself. And there's a huge revelation of God here, a huge encounter with God in Christ that takes us well beyond good advice for successful living. Second thing we take away is there's amazing good news here in this, in this text for us and for the world. For us, we are not left rudderless when it comes to spirituality and godliness. We are, giving an, we are given amazing teach us, teachings that bring us into Christ-likeness. When we are asked, what does a Christian look like? The answer, read the book of Proverbs. This is the wisdom of God. And this is the wisdom of God captured in a person, Jesus of Nazareth. But for the world, it is good news. It is wise teaching for the world. It is a creation theology. But it takes the world to Christ. It takes everyone who reads the book to the one who personifies everything that is in this book, namely Christ. And by faith and by repentance and belief, anyone can become a follower of this Jesus of Nazareth. What is the challenge here? There's huge challenge in this book. The world sees everything through the eyes of Lady Folly. We talked about her in chapter 9. The world sees everything through the eyes of the worship of power, the drive towards violence, the love of perverted sexuality, the honor of laziness, our role in child-rearing given to the government to teach perverted and broken morality instead of godly parents taking responsibility for their children. And if there's anything you, that you hear from me this morning, I hope you hear that one. The world sees the value and importance and, and the goodness of gossiping and lying the abuse of alcohol and the horror of what that brings, and the lure of adulterous men and women. We see it everywhere in media and everywhere else, everywhere else we move. And the world sees a despising of the traditional monogamous, heterosexual, and exclusive definition of marriage. And the book of Proverbs confronts all that. So there's challenge. It challenges lady folly and what the world sees as valuable. So there's a complete worldview sh world shift going on, and it is high time we took it seriously. And so, my <laughs> and so my appeal, how do we respond? Read it. And read it again and again and again. For wisdom. And as we read it, we see Christ. He was part of writing it. Last week I told you I was going to be part of the uh, Power to Change uh, student gathering uh, this last Friday. And uh, one of the assignments I was given was how do we see Christ in the Old Testament? Great assignment to talk about in 30 minutes, but anyhow. And one of the main points I made was, we see Christ in the Old Testament because he wrote it. He was part of the triune God that breathed into the writers to write what they did. And that includes the book of Proverbs. 
So yes, it was a triune God that breathed into the, the writers that, that wrote the Old Testament, but it is, but Jesus was part of that passe graphe, God breathed, inspired work of God. So we see Christ. He was part of writing it. He read it himself in the synagogue. And he captures it all in himself. And these teach, his teachings, the teachings in the book, define Christless, Christlikeness. And then finally, how do we respond? I guess as I read it, I find myself repenting and changing when confronted with a worldview that I have absorbed from the world. And I find myself being challenged by what I find here and needing to change. But also we find ourselves being blessed. When we are following what is in the book, we're working hard at it. And by the power of the Spirit, we are in fact embracing the wisdom of Lady Wisdom. God bless you all.